Hi there, you're listening to the Paralegals on Fire podcast show where you'll be getting tips and actionable strategies that you can use right now to fast track your paralegal career. I'm your host, Ann Pearson, former paralegal and paralegal manager who left big law in the concrete jungle to start my own company, The Paralegal Bootcamp, where we give online courses that help paralegals make more money, increase their job security, and cut out the learning curve. All right, let's jump right into today's episode. Well, I have a special guest for this podcast episode. Ashley Stasiewicz is a former paralegal turned full-time paralegal instructor at McEwen University in Canada. Before I read you the official introduction in Ashley's bio, I want to share something with the listeners that I think is important. The reason I asked Ashley to come on the show today is because of an email I received from one of our listeners, and I want to share it here. In fact, I forgot to share it with Ashley when I talked to her about even coming on the show. The only thing she knew is that I reached out to her because someone sent me an email suggesting that I interview her on the show. And I think this email is better at giving you the real picture than any bio can. So this email is from Rena, and I'm going to read it exactly. And I've been an avid listener of your podcasts and attended a Lunch and Learn a long time ago when you were based out of New York. I'm located in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and I recall how you had an international attendee to one of your live events. Fast forward to today, I have since, proudly, she put in parentheses, enjoyed the podcast interview that you had with Heidi Semkowicz of the Alberta Association of Professional Paralegals. The reason why I'm reaching out to you today is that I would like to nominate another rock star paralegal. Her name is Ashley Stasiewicz. She's a rock star paralegal in my eyes because like Heidi, Ashley leads by example. I'm extremely proud to have both Heidi and Ashley as my mentors, and I believe they both have so much to offer by way of sage wisdom to all those paralegals out there. I'm nominating Ashley to be interviewed on your podcast because Ashley has the characteristics and drive as a rock star paralegal that I strive for. Ashley is not only an instructor at McEwen University's Paralegal Studies program, she has been and still is in the legal industry for approximately 17 years and is one of the most kind, humorous, knowledgeable, hardworking, supportive paralegals I know. I can speak to this because my journey with Ashley started out as a mentorship through the Alberta Association of Professional Paralegals. Eventually, through unseen events in my life, our paths would end up crossing outside of Microsoft Office meetings, where Ashley would also be the instructor in some of my classes. Honestly, I would not have it any other way. And like Heidi, Ashley definitely sets the bar for when it comes to being an exceptional example of what it is to be a paralegal professional. When I received that email from Rena, I knew I had to reach out to you, Ashley. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So I didn't read that to you before, um, but that's just when I was reading it again this morning, you know, as I was getting ready for the show, I thought, wow, I have to read that because that really says who Ashley is, at least in the eyes of people that you're affecting on a daily basis. So before I read your official bio, though, I have to say that in the last few years, I have heard so many great things about the Alberta Association and, you know, what you guys are doing for the paralegal profession. And, you know, you're a mentor there. And I see other paralegal association websites that say, you know, the benefits of joining their job boards, their monthly meetings. And, 
maybe they mention a mentorship, but I have never had any interactions from paralegals at other associations who speak so highly about what their association is doing, like the AAP members do. So first, I want to thank you for being a mentor in there. But can you tell me, is there a reason why you think the AAP is such a strong organization that you have your members out there speaking so highly? I think the mentorship program in general is just so effective because it sets you up for success in industry. The way I approach my teaching in my classes, I design my classes and my instructional approach around what Ashley, what what baby Ashley would have wanted to know when she first entered the industry. And what I found that what I lacked when I first entered was a mentor. And so I think when you consider the way I've designed my courses and that lovely letter from Rena, like I feel like that's kind of been effective in the classroom. Now, when you relate this to the AAP, they're asking volunteer senior paralegals or those in industry to volunteer their time to meet with individuals who are new or interested in becoming a paralegal or just a legal professional in Alberta and share honest truths about what it's really like. And it's effective because you have someone in industry who's knowledgeable about whatever area of law you want to work in. But it also gives you that network connection that most of us lack when we get into the workforce. My background is primarily working in criminal law. And I, you typically work in a very small firm and your lawyer is always off at court. So it doesn't really leave a whole lot of room to have a mentor. And so when the AAP created this mentorship program, I knew for sure this is exactly what I want to do, what I want to volunteer my time with. Because it gives me that opportunity to provide the mentorship that I lacked at the beginning of the industry. And so I think that's really effective. I really enjoy it because I can get to know so many other individuals like Rena and other aspiring professionals, and I can share resources and advice and tips and tricks and things I wished I knew so they don't have to make the same mistakes that I made, you know, three or four times. (laughs) Wow. I love that. You know, I'm going to make a call out to every paralegal who's listening right now. And especially if you're maybe sitting on a board of a local paralegal association, what if you know, you have, say, 100 members in your association and 50 of them are senior paralegals and 50 are mentors, you know, just using thrown out numbers here. You know, what if you could just get 10 of those 50 senior paralegals to take on a mentorship role? Imagine the paralegals' lives that would be affected. I just, I love that. Okay, now I know why they're reaching out to me. <laughs> All right, well, so let me let me tell the listeners a little bit about your background before we jump in. And so Ashley is a sessional instructor for the paralegal studies and office assistant programs at McEwen University. And she has over 16 years of experience in the legal industry. She teaches legal courses at McEwen, such as legal information and management procedures, legal drafting, legal documents one and two, technology for paralegals, legal research. Well, I'm going to run out of breath with all these courses you're teaching, Ashley. Business communication and the paralegal's Studies Capstone program. So she was previously supervising graduates of the Paralegal Studies and Office Assistant program during their practicums as an office manager at Morrow Law. But she much prefers her current role working in higher education because it allows her to make a greater impact in educating future legal professionals. Ashley's a member and mentor, as you heard, of the Alberta Association of Professional Paralegals and an associate member of the Edmonton Law Office Managers Association. And she's currently writing a textbook with criminal lawyer Paul Moreau, and it's titled Criminal Law and Procedure for Alberta Legal Professionals. And that's expected to be published 
with Edmund Publishing in 2024. And she has two bachelor's degrees and a master's degree in education. So Ashley, welcome again to the show. Thank you. So why did you decide to give up working in law firms and to teach full time? Because we all know it probably wasn't because you were going to be getting a bigger salary. Well, actually, fun fact, I still do work very part time for Paul Moreau at Moreau Law. So I balance both working full time for McEwen and also very remotely and part time for Paul. But I'll give you a bit of a it's a bit of a long winded story. And I, I think it's important to discuss in 2020 when the world kind of shut down. Here in Alberta, the courthouses shut down with that. And when the courthouses shut down, I was a full-time office manager at the time. We had to do what many industries and employers had to do. We had to lay off some staff. And I went up to Paul and I said, no, we're going to lay me off because I want to keep our assistants employed for as long as possible. So I'll I'll take the hit. And so we did that. Uh, He wasn't very happy about it, but it was the best decision that I could have made. So I laid off and I kind of looked around and thought, all right, well, what am I going to do next? And I had always wanted to teach. In fact, while I was supervising many of the students who had, you know, were in the practicums for the program that I teach in now, at one point I contacted the practicum coordinator, whatever their title was. And I said, look, y'all are doing it wrong. <laughs> you're missing some things here in this in the program and you're not setting my, you know, these students up for success. Now, I think the the time where I had a student show up was like a binder full of paper precedents. You know, I'm prepared. I'm ready to go. I just kind of looked at her and laughed. I was like, what are you planning to do with those? <laughs> like, I get the intent, but wow, this is not the Stone Age, my friend. So I called up this coordinator and I said, look, like, I'm more than willing to teach this. Like, can I come and talk to your classes? Is there anything I can do to get more involved so that these students have workplace, you know, relevant skills? This person kind of paused and thought about it, you know, like responded, well, you're not a lawyer. You could never, you could never teach these courses. Oh, yeah. All right. Then, uh, so it was just, I, I thought that was never going to be a thing for me. Well, fast forward to COVID, which I, men- I mentioned earlier and the layoff and I'm trying to figure out what to do with my life. Well, McEwen University has a posting for a sessional instructor to teach uh, legal 116, which is legal computing and procedures. And I thought, you know what? Why not? I'll just throw my hat in the ring. Let's, let's see what happens. And so I applied and I got the job, like just kind of fell into it. So I threw everything I had into that one teaching, that one course. And then the next semester, I got another course. And then the next semester, I got another course and another course. And this semester alone, now I teach six classes. So it's been four years now that I've been working with McEwen. And I can now proudly say that that person I spoke with who said I would never get this job because I'm not a lawyer. Well, I have her job now. (laughs) Oh, nice. (laughs) <laughs> uh, so yeah, I just kind of got, fell into this. But I mean, I, I love teaching. I love the supervisor. I love the mentorship. And I, I felt like I couldn't do as much as I wanted to do to make a difference in the profession in industry. Now, I do still keep my kind of foot, my foot in the door, if you, if you will, by working for Paul. Though it's very, very part time. And it's primarily just to stay on top of the changes in the, the courts processes. I'm sure you experienced this too, Anne. But even throughout COVID, the changes have been astronomical. And trying to stay on top of the shifts in court filing procedures and, you know, all the different, you know, filing processes and different forms and everything here has been, it's a lot. And it's really hard to do that when you remove yourself from industry entirely. So I do try to balance both. Well, and so when we first talked by phone, you also mentioned that you were hoping to get a doctorate degree. And it's on a topic that I find very interesting since I have a business that provides paralegal training after they get their paralegal certificate. Can you tell us a little bit about that topic and where you're at with that? Yes, yes. So this, I, I keep applying. They haven't they haven't accepted me yet, but 
I, I do have my sights on obtaining a doctoral degree in education, and I would like to study the pedagogical approaches to the legal education of non-lawyers, particularly in paralegals. And what I've noticed through my studies and through my you know literature review is that there's no research in Canada. There's a little bit not in, in the States, but none in, in Canada about the effect of legal education to non-lawyers. There's a lot of studies on legal education of legal studies students, which is more the sociological perspective of law. Like, why is the law the way it is? And there's also a ton of research on, you know, legal education of lawyers, reasonably so. Uh, But there's really nothing about legal education of paralegals. And the approach is really different because paralegals need to have a knowledge of procedural law, a little bit of substantive law, and they also need to have technical skills, not just clerical. We're like, we're, we're not back in... The day where like, we can all reasonably assume that paralegals are doing more than just a basic receptionist role, right? We need to have technical sales and we need to have our legal knowledge and we need to have a combination of both. And no one's really studying the effective approaches. I am uh, in the process of getting approval for a study in January and I have a flipped class where it's a legal technology course and the students, I've given the students a number of licenses to legal technologies and I have you know, they get to pick their groups and this, I flip the class entirely where the students get to present the material to me. Now, I don't give them any, I know there's no lecturing. I don't give them any content. I give them a structure and I say, I want you to learn everything you know about this topic. And you're going to pretend that I'm the managing partner of the law firm. And I want you to tell me why I want to use this legal technology, how I would use this in what instances would be helpful for our firm. That's the first step in my pursuits for doctoral studies because you need to have some research uh, under your belt before you get accepted. But I have applied several times. I've applied again. I'm hopeful this year is that I'm the lucky winner, but I'm definitely getting started on you know expanding that body of research now before I get accepted into one of those programs. But I'm hopeful that once I start doing these studies, we'll see the difference of instructional methods to future paralegals and legal assistants than that of lawyers or legal studies majors. Wow, I'm impressed. I I think there's going to be a whole bunch of listeners out there going, I want to get my paralegal certificate from McEwen University and I want Ashley to be my teacher. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I I think that's amazing, especially when you go back to you're not a lawyer, so you can't teach a paralegal program or a paralegal. I see it. It's in the States, every one of them. I talk to schools all the time and you know, heaven forbid, if you wanted to be in charge of or run a paralegal program, no way. You can be a an adjunct professor teaching. Well, like I have, I've taught paralegal job search and career development skills, but they won't even think about having me teach litigation case management um, or e-discovery project management, you know, because I'm not a lawyer. So I just, I think that's, I would love it if you would share when you do. I've eventually you are going to get into that doctorate program, but when you do, I would love to be able to share your work when you're done. I would love to as well. I mean, I love my colleagues; they're incredibly intelligent humans, but you know, they're lawyers. They've never done the job that we have done, and there's that disconnect right from the start. And it's it's fascinating to hear that that same thing is occurring in where you are, where you have regulated paralegals. You know, part of me thinks that, you know, regulation will change things. But, you know, if if it's still occurring where you are, (laughs) Uh paralegals have been regulated for years. 
it's uh, it's certainly interesting. So then, hence why I'm considering the re- body of research, because if universities do not have research to rely upon, they're going to continue with this structure of lawyers instructing paralegals. Now, on one hand, it's it's important that lawyers have an involvement in the education because obviously, not obviously, but in most cases, the paralegals and legal assistants will be working for the lawyers. But that's not always the case. Right? There's a lot of legal tasks that paralegals particularly will conduct without the supervision of the lawyer. And one big example is real estate lawyers. Real estate assistants will do 99% of the work and the lawyer will show up to the meeting with the client and say, yes, this is the document. Well, let's read it together. It's the first time both both parties have seen the document. So it's, it's, very, it's particularly interesting. Um, and right now, I am the only non-lawyer faculty on staff teaching in this particular program. But I'm a bit of a like a bit of a unicorn, if you will, because I have such a lengthy experience, and I also have my undergraduate degree in education and a master's degree in education. So they really can't say no to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, so besides not saying no, right? You didn't give up. If there's somebody listening who maybe has been a paralegal for many years and thinks, you know, I might want to start out doing something like that part time at a local school, what advice would you have for them other than don't give up? But if they want to do some teaching at their local paralegal school, are there any tips that you could give on how to do it? Yeah, academia is kind of a beast. <laughs> so be prepared for it. Although it does have some similarities to law. So um, it's not a huge transition. But so in universities, particularly um, more so than colleges, your education will be supreme. So my desire to obtain a doctoral degree is not just intrinsic, but there also is, you know, an intrinsic factor that it will be more of a fast track to perhaps a faculty role at some point. Those jobs, though, like full-time faculty jobs, there's like a 1% chance of getting them. So it's very difficult. Uh, adjunct roles or like sessional roles, that's what I hold. Um, those are more common and those are more likely for industry experts to come in and teach a class. Um, so I would always just look at the career postings. If you have an undergraduate degree or a master's degree, you'll definitely have a leg up. And if you have aspirations to teach at a university or a college, I would highly recommend, you know, seeking out a master's program if you already have an undergraduate degree, because that will matter. Some colleges in Alberta have a number of industry professionals, many of which are members of the AAPP who are teaching in programs and the education component, the credentials, that is not as important as their work experience. So I would definitely look out for and find the you know the institution that works best for you and also your alignment with the program do you actually enjoy the program i wouldn't pick a, a college where or a you know an institution where they have a program that you just simply don't believe in and i know that can be hard to say and that's kind of a privileged role to say but i have interviewed with other institutions that offered me significantly less money and they have a significantly less intensive program and i considered it but at the end of the day you have to think about what your why is and my why is to support future legal professionals and working for an institution that isn't particularly supportive of future legal professionals and they're really just supportive of uh, making a ton of money (laughs) without Mm -hmm. really focusing on you know the the curriculum and uh, approaches that would be in my perspective yeah and my thoughts too and then of course just like we approach our roles as paralegals and we do everything we can to make ourselves indispensable and we work hard and we we go above and beyond the same thing applies in academia as well i i volunteer for as much as i can and i you know help out as many colleagues as i can and you know my students always comment like ashley i think do you live here like do you go home <laughs> so i mean it's no different than any other, any other industry or any other, any other role in that in that context yeah, it's kind of like you would you excelled as a paralegal because you were driven and focused and you enjoyed what you're doing. And so you're going to 
have those same characteristics when you go into teaching. Absolutely. The personality trait that draws someone into a paralegal role, it just leads to a success in so many other industries and academia is one of them. And I laugh because this year, since I've been teaching at McHugh for four years and I teach so many classes, I've seen a lot of my students grow as individuals and seen their personalities develop and their perspectives on the workforce. It's fascinating because now I was commenting to a student yesterday. I was like, I just I feel like I have like an army of little mini Ashleys roaming around with human because <laughs> that makes me so happy because they're so independent and focused and driven and like they they don't hesitate to tell me if I you know have a typo on my slides or if <laughs> there's an error in my assignment outline and I just love it so much because you know, keeping me on my toes and really like holding me to the standard that I expect of them is so fun. <laughs> and uh, and they, I just know they're going to be going to be so successful when they hit the workforce, because that's exactly what we're looking for in paralegals, right? And we need that attention to detail. We need that work ethic. We need that level of care, the quality of work. And it's, it's really cool to see. Well, along those lines, do you have any success stories? So you've been there four years. You probably have some people who have gone on and graduated since you started. You don't have to use any names if you don't want, but do you have any inspiration for other up-and-coming students who might be struggling in their program right now? And So as far as success stories, because I handle all the practicum placements for my students, I can tell you that maybe one or two students do not get a job at the end of their practicum. Most, like, I have like a 99% success rate of someone getting employed, wow. which I find amazing. Yes, I, <laughs> it makes me so happy. And then is other, there are other ways of measuring success too. I've, I've, I try to have a, you know, open door policy. I don't have my own office. That's a shared office with other instructors, but I like to ensure that students feel comfortable coming to talk to me if they're having concerns about the program and if they have any questions about what life is like as a paralegal. This industry is not for everyone. So I would rather an, a student who's in their first year of university come and have that conversation with me about, is this really what it's like? Is it really true that in the first few years, your work-life balance is affected? Yes, the answer is yes. If that's not something that you want or that's something if in your career, that's not something that you seek, then, you know, this might be some other something you don't want to consider. In contrast, I also have a lot of conversations with students about what area of law they'd want to work in. A lot of students come and talk to me because they're interested in criminal law, because that's my background. And when we have conversations about what kind of, you know, what kind of content would be covered, what kind of discussions, what kind of what it's like to work with criminal lawyers, what it's like to work on criminal files. Sometimes their decision is swayed. And the last thing that I want to do, do is have a student, you know, attend a paralegal program and then finish two years, pay, pay tuition for two years, which is so expensive, and then spend two years of their life in a program where they just aren't happy for a role they're just not going to be happy or doesn't fit with their future careers. So I really try to spend a lot of time talking to students and encourage them to come and talk to me to get that real life kind of honest feedback on what it's like. And I also encourage them to talk to other individuals as well, using that mentorship program in the AAP, which I talk about in class. And also their, you know, their other professors, instructors, their lawyers, but they can give them a perspective as well. And anyone else in industry that they know. I also do a number of assignments where they're encouraged to contact a paralegal in industry to ask them questions directly. So at the end of the, you know, the first year, at least, students will get a hopefully a variety of different perspectives on what the industry is like, because I just simply don't want them to waste their time. I love that. I, I want to back up and make sure everybody heard what she just said. And especially maybe even if you're in your first year of a paralegal program that you don't agree with, they're not great teachers, you don't feel like you're getting the support you need. Those two things that you just said, I think if every paralegal program 
put in those two key things, it would change the trajectory of so many lives. Because I, I don't know if you see in some of these Facebook groups, paralegals struggle like for years to find a job. They can't get a job. They don't have experience. They can't get a job. 99% success rate, only a couple of your students don't get a job. To me, that says every paralegal program out there should have a mandatory. And when she's saying practicum for people in the States, it's a an internship. I, I think it should be mandatory. If that were the case, if you would know going through your paralegal program that you have a 99% chance of getting a job after graduation, that would be so worth it. Well, for sure. And the last city of Ontario is, is the only province right now that has regulated paralegals in Canada, hopefully more soon. But their law society just released a competency framework in February of this year stating that there needs to be a minimum number. I don't think it's 200 hours. I think it's 150, which honestly, it should be more, but of an unpaid internship or a practicum component for all of their regulated paralegals. It's mandatory. The practicum in our program is 200 hours and it is mandatory as well. And it is so helpful. The students that do not complete practicums, they have like alternative assessments. They're nowhere near as successful, but usually those are the students that didn't really want to do paralegal anyways. They didn't want to finish their program. But it's also, you know, the two years is not a loss at the end of the day, too, if students do not want to complete, you know, a practicum or an internship. So if you are in a paralegal program and you're thinking this might not be for me, but you are interested in law, they're not limited still. There is the other component of, you know, studying like legal studies. Maybe you want to spend more time looking more into a particular component of law and why the law is the way it is. Maybe you want to be involved more in a different area that's not just paralegal. You know, that level, that knowledge, the foundation that you're receiving, it can really be applied across so many different careers too. So it's, it's no education is a loss. It's kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah. Well, and for those of you out there who listened and heard that word unpaid, 150 hours, 200 hours, I, I get it. I get it, especially these days. Money is tight. It's a sacrifice. But if you listen to those numbers, would you be willing to do 150 hours at an unpaid internship, gain valuable knowledge and experience and know that you had pretty much close to a 99% chance that you were going to get a job on graduation, that would be worth it. So the thing with the unpaid internship is I, I want to say that one of the reasons why I'm most successful in placing students with a firm is that I spend a lot of time getting to know the practicum hosts. So I will reach out to the firms and speak with their HR managers. I'll use my connections at Aloma to really get to know what these individuals, these firms are looking for. And of course, it changes depending on the size of the firm and area of law. These larger firms with multiple locations have a completely different perspective on what they want from a student versus a smaller boutique firm, for example, in like one area of law or general practice. And one of the things that I like to do, and I have this benefit because unlike some other legal assistant programs here in Alberta, I have a relatively small cohort. This year alone, I think I'm placing 50 students in a practicum. And so I really only have to find a small number of firms comparatively speaking to other, other institutions. And so I get to be really picky. And so I call these practicum hosts. I start in January and I say, look, they're working for free for 200 hours. What I would suggest because of the high cost of living and tuition and the fact that you're getting free work for five straight weeks, why don't you pay for their parking? Why don't you help them purchase a bus pass? Can you at least give them an honorarium or pay them an hourly wage? Those firms that make an effort to support their, you know, the, the students through that five weeks, recognizing that many of those, many of my students have full-time jobs and they have to take a leave of absence from their jobs or they have to quit their job entirely to actually complete this internship. I spend a lot of time finding the right firm for them so that they are, they do receive some level of compensation if 
I can swing it. I really try. It's not always successful, but I really try. That's great. Gosh, I'd love to hear stuff like now I know why Rena sent this in. I'm just even the further we get into this interview, the more impressed I am. Because I do hear some of the horror stories. And for those out there looking at an unpaid internship. um, So in the States, it's not a lot of law firms don't do that because of the labor and employment um, restrictions on having workers unpaid. But that's because the restrictions are you have to actually be showing them skills. You can't just and this is what I see a lot. So people out there don't just go run out and find your first unpaid internship and think that that's going to be good. Because I have seen and most of the time it's solo practitioners take advantage of that and say, yeah, sure, you can be my unpaid intern for five weeks. And all they're doing is sitting there answering the phones. They're just being a free receptionist. And so I think it is important. I love that you oversee it and you're so hands on to make sure that they're actually getting that knowledge and experience. Yes. And that is a huge problem. You know, it, it, it requires planning. So there's two angles to this. The first one is, as someone who's hosted students before, I would get a call from a university or a college saying, hey, can you host this student next week? And at that point, with that late late notice, I would have nothing to give them, right? There are some times in the year where they're slower than others. And I would end up providing that student uh, just all they would do is, you know, close files and scan, digitize, that kind of stuff. Boring stuff. But I had like three days to prepare. And two of those were a holiday. So, you know, it's, it's there's that angle. And that's just an unfortunate situation for anyone. <laughs> For so many different individuals. But on the other hand, in my program in particular, I've set up the program where I start planning way ahead in advance. And I meet with the hosts and I meet with the students and I get an, an idea of what their work experience has been like, what their skills are, what their interests are. And I match the student to the pro- the firm. They don't have to go out and find their own practicum. Um, because you're right, students will look to whatever firm they can find. And if they say yes, they're like, yes, I'm so excited. And like, why wouldn't they be excited? Someone said, yes, they want to host me for a practicum. That's amazing. But they don't know the ins and the outs of the industry like you and I do. If I have a meeting with a firm and I just get a bad vibe, like I think they're just going to stick them in a receptionist role for five weeks. I just don't put them on my list. And I also follow up. There's a contract that the host needs to sign with me that states that they're going to meet certain learning outcomes. And I send weekly emails to the host following up as well. So I make sure, I'm, you know, one might call me a micromanager in that aspect, but I want to make sure that my students are getting an excellent learning opportunity because it is unpaid, right? At the end of the day, I can ask, I can beg and plead and say, please provide them with, you know, a reimbursement for the parking costs, which will be like $300. We know you can afford it. (laughs) I know you're not going to pay it. But at the very least, please give them a good education. Give them the learning that we're all expecting. Please don't have them sitting at the photocopier scanning all day. Is that part of the role? Absolutely. But it doesn't need to be the part of the role for the entire five weeks. So you're managing all of that while you're teaching six, seven, eight. How many courses are you teaching? I teach this six, this six this semester, five next semester. And I teach I teach at least one in the spring. I might be teaching two. I'll never I won't know until about the month before. I love the level of detail that you're going into with that. Um, gosh, this. So if anybody listening is at a paralegal program and you're thinking about having an internship in the States or a practicum up there, you know, I think that's part of the success. Well, not part. I think that's the key of the success that you're seeing in your graduates. Partly, yes. And then the the, the added benefit that I get to speaking to industry directly is that I have the opportunity to bring their feedback into the classes that I teach. I can't change the program as a whole. Even a course title 
I don't have any authority over that. It's above my pay grade. But what I can do is take the knowledge that I gain from these conversations with the HR managers and the office managers and other paralegals and say, you know, they say, well, we need to have more knowledge in particular legal technologies. Great. Do you, can you give me some examples? And then if I can find an education license, then I'll incorporate it in my class. So I think it's that that direct link between me and industry and having those conversations. Like, I really want to hear from you, you know, recognize the, the the boundaries that I have, the barriers I have in my role at academia, but also how can we work together here so that I am providing you with skilled future paralegals and, but at the same time, you know, recognize that I can't change the entire program, right? And I think that too. So it's, it's not just a combination of the internship, getting students out in the workforce and getting that industry experience, but also, you know, Partly my approach to education and incorporating that feedback, I think, makes a big difference as well. Yeah, I agree. That feedback. So it's interesting. I had a phone call a few weeks ago from a paralegal program director at one of the colleges here in the States, and that's what they did. And their feedback from HR and law firm managers was, we need more paralegals. We need them to have better attention to detail, less mistakes, and better communication skills and something else. And so they reached out to me to see, like they're literally going to put it in their budget and say, okay, let's get them these skills because I just so happen to have courses, you know, 60-minute trainings on that particular topic. So I guess some of them are doing it, but God, I love what you're doing at your school. All right. Before I let you go, though, I want to circle back just for a quick second for the last question on the mentorship for paralegals out there who already feel like, oh, I'm short on time. I work long hours. I got a family. If they just had or could find just 30 minutes in a week to be a mentor for a new paralegal, what does that involve? What does your mentorship, the volunteering you're doing through the AAP, what does that involve? Oh, the AAP makes it so easy for you to volunteer for this. So they have a, an online portal and you can pick the, your availability and you can pick a few hours and a mentee can go onto the website You know, you post your, your picture and your biography and kind of your area of law. And uh, the mentee can go and find one of the days that works for them. And they'll reach out to you directly and say, you know, are you still available on this time? And all my mentorship meetings have all just been online, just been through Microsoft Teams. Uh, and that works best for me. And the expectation is an hour, but in some cases, I don't have a full hour. But I have a half an hour. I can enjoy my cup of coffee and, you know, have a great start to the day by talking to someone else who's put interested in, in working in the same area that I've worked in for so long. Um, and so, you know, thinking about how, you know, how many hours in the day that are wasted that you do <laughs> just like scroll <laughs> social media or anything. Oh, yeah. You could even, you know, connect your phone to your Bluetooth in your car and connect with someone on the phone while you're commuting. There are so many opportunities to really get to know someone and expand that network. For me, I find it is intrinsic. I really enjoy giving back, but recognize the impact that you can have as a mentor on someone else, you know, helping them in, you know, in a direction for, you know, what area of law they're looking in because you know, in criminal law, from what I experienced, you don't really have anyone to lean on. And it's nice to have someone else that you can even just talk to, you know, who's gone through the same things that you've gone through. Um, and maybe one day they might have a precedent that you need, right? You call them up. Hey, have you done this order? <laughs> yes, actually, let me send this over, right? Can make, make establishing those connections because you'll be successful in the workforce as well. But yeah, just try to use those little pockets of time. We're all busy, but uh, it's definitely worth it. I couldn't agree more, you know, and so in listening to that, I would say, um, if you don't realize the impact that you might have, go back and start this podcast episode over again and listen to me reading Rena's email to me like you have had such an impact on this paralegal that she took her time to write this lengthy email 
to speak so highly of you, you know, that even if she's the only person you've ever impacted through that, that's huge. That's huge. So I want to say thank you, Ashley, because I think, I hope that this is going to be an inspiration for other paralegals to go out there and be mentors, volunteer for your local paralegal association to be a mentor and have that kind of impact on just one paralegal. So thank you, Ashley, for taking your time today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Anne. I really appreciate it. All right, everybody. Bye for now. All right, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, hit the subscribe button in whatever platform you're listening. And please take a quick minute and leave a review of the podcast and share this episode with just one colleague or friend who you think would benefit from what we discussed today. Share the knowledge and the entire paralegal profession elevates. See you next week. Bye for now.